Well, we are on this uh, Shabbat that's kind of like uh, in between. Uh, the, the Shabbat that is, um, you know, in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Shabbat Shuvah, very uh, important day, you know, a, a sp- special Shabbat. But it is kind of interesting that the Shabbat in between uh, Yom Kippur and Sukkot is, is Shabbat. And, uh, and of course, every Shabbat is a holy day. But uh, we're sort of in this little, you know, a little bit of a holding pattern, you might say, uh, waiting for uh, the great feast of our rejoicing. Uh, now, of course, because it's only five days from uh, Yom Kippur to Sukkot, there is not always a Shabbat in between. Uh, it depends on, on when it falls, uh, you know, during the, uh, during the week. So uh, this week uh, we do have uh, Shabbat, so I thought we might talk a little bit uh, about just what Sukkot is uh, and why it's important, uh, and then a little bit about how that ties into this week's Torah portion, Hazinu. So Sukkot in English we call the Feast of Tabernacles, right? So uh, first let me just say this, that is a very unfortunate English translation. All right, because when you think of tabernacle, you are thinking of the tabernacle in the wilderness, right? This is an entirely different word. It doesn't mean the same thing. But in the King James Bible, it was translated Feast of Tabernacles. And so it stuck. And so we call it uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. But better is booths, better is shelter shelter or a booth. So, I, uh, so the first thing is, if you're not familiar with this, that we're not talking about the feast of like the holy place, right? Uh, but of shelters. Uh, I could think of several songs to break out into singing. But I, I, the feast, <laughs> the feast of, 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 of booths, the feast of, of shelters. I, now, Sukkot is one of the three Feasts of ingathering, right? Uh, one of the three main pilgrimage festivals, as they're called in English, when people from all around would come to Jerusalem, would come to Jerusalem with specific offerings. And it is interesting that basically the uh, the important holidays uh, to us all come around sort of that ta- these times of year where you have these three pilgrimage feasts. Now, there's kind of an irony in this, in that in the Jewish world today, the three pilgrimage festivals in the Bible are all minor holidays in the Jewish world today. So the first one is called uh, the seven days of unleavened bread. Now, I hate to split hairs, but Passover technically is not the feast of unleavened bread, okay? Passover is a moment in time. Passover is a meal. Passover in the ancient world was that on the day of the 14th, they would uh, slaughter the animals. And uh, as the sun is going down on the 14th, they would have the meal. And that coincided with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But even in Yeshua's day, they called Passover the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You read that in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Then Shavuot, uh, uh, today is uh, in in the Jewish world today would be considered a minor uh, a minor uh, holiday 
you know, 50 days later. Uh, traditionally, it's understood as when Moses received the Torah. Then, uh, uh, now, uh, Sukkot is, in the Jewish uh, community, a minor holiday. Uh, the high holy days are Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, not Rosh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. Sukkot is a minor holiday. Uh, not everybody observes it. Uh, there's a tradition of building um, uh, sukkah, right, in, uh, in the backyard uh, of, of the home or, you know, uh, you know, on the property of the synagogue or something like that. Uh, but what's interesting is that in the Bible, these three holidays are really important, very important in what they commemorate uh, and, uh, and what they were for. In one way, all three of them are kind of the same in that they're feasts of thanksgiving. They have varieties of names and meanings and all that, but they're feasts of thanksgiving uh, tied into agriculture. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was the beginning of the harvest, the spring harvest. The Feast of Shavuot was the end of the spring harvest. And Sukkot is at the end of the harvest year, at the beginning of the rainy season, right? Uh, so first and foremost about these holidays, and I'll say specifically Sukkot, it is, in the Bible, an agricultural holiday. Now, why is that important for us? It's important for us because of the relationship of the land itself, the literal land, the dirt, the, the produce, the, you know, what comes out of the land, uh, it is uh, very important to the Lord. The whole land is a holy place, okay? Uh, it's not just a country. Uh, it is not uh, just a, a strategic uh, piece of land, but it is the holy place. Uh, and when uh, God uh, promised it to Israel, gave it to Israel, it was for the purpose of demonstrating his holiness of, of a real people demonstrating his holiness in a real place. Uh, and the, the, everything that would come out of the ground was viewed as the blessing of God. That it was the blessing of God that God makes the, uh, the land uh, fertile. And it is when Israel is in the land that it is its most fertile. And that is a fact of history, not just you know, a spiritual idea. That is an actual fact of, of history. And it will flourish the most when Israel is redeemed and in a right relationship with God. Then the land will ultimately uh, flourish, as will indeed the whole world. So uh, it is uh, agricultural. Um, now, uh, when we read, uh, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 16 about the holiday, I just picked out a couple of places here. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, in verse 13, it says, You shall celebrate the Feast of Booths seven days after you have gathered in from your threshing floor and your wine vat. Now that's important. Just stop there. Uh, you can, if you um, uh, look at a concordance for wine vat or vat or vats uh, in the Bible, you will see that in other places, like in the book of Judges, it mentions it a couple of times, that one of the things that would be done on Sukkot, it was not uh, only uh, thanksgiving for, in general, what the land produces, but grapes 
grapes in particular. It's just kind of interesting that it mentions this issue of when it says what you have gathered from your threshing floor and your wine vat means grapes and your and wine and uh, and so this uh, this evidently was uh, very much associated with Sukkot. It's just uh, very interesting. This uh, this uh, issue of of uh, threshing floor and wine vats. Uh, and uh, and so it was, as you can see here, very, very agricultural in its meaning, thanking God for, uh, for the fruit of the vine as well as everything else. And you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter and your male and female servants and the Levite and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your towns, meaning everybody, meaning everybody. Uh, and notice the emphasis on rejoice, the emphasis on celebrate uh, and rejoice. Okay, this is Sukkot is a very happy holiday. Now you know how we think of Purim, you know how it's extremely joyful. Sukkot in the Bible is an extremely joyful holiday. Zman Simcha Tenu, the season of our rejoicing, okay? Seven days you shall, you shall celebrate a feast to the Lord. There it is again. You know, when words are repeated over and over again, we need to, like, take note of that. Seven days you shall celebrate a feast to the Lord, uh, your God, in the place where the Lord chooses, because the Lord, your God, will bless you in all your produce, see? And all the work of your hands, so that you shall be altogether joyful. Uh, and so uh, this holiday, primarily in the Bible, is about thanking God for what he has given to us. Now, uh, uh, when we look at our own lives, uh, you know, we, we do need to be thankful always for the food that we have, right? When you go to the supermarket and you're walking down the aisle, uh, it is important to be thankful for uh, that you can pick and choose uh, all the different things that, that you'd like and, and there's varieties of stores and, and it's just right down the street. Uh, right now, uh, most of us uh, don't grow all our own food. I know some of you may, some of you might grow some of it and it's important you know, to be thankful for that. But we need to be thankful uh, on Sukkot and all the time, but especially on Sukkot, for everything that God gives us. Everything that he gives us. You know, if you uh, have a nice job and you make a nice living, it's not just your ingenuity and your abilities. Uh, it is God who has blessed you with all of that. And it's important to be thankful. And that's why, uh, you know, uh, most of us, uh, uh, are not subsistence farmers. Uh, we actually have uh, jobs and we buy the things we need. And so that's why uh, that is a big motive for giving, should be a big motive for giving, not some kind of percentage issue and this is what I'll get in return. Those are all bad motives for giving, <laughs> okay? Uh, but the, the, the motive for giving is God has blessed me with whatever I have. And so I give back to the Lord uh, a portion of what he has, 
what he has uh, uh, blessed me with. Okay? Notice verse 17 in that chapter. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord, your God, which he has given you. So we should always be doing that kind of thing. But on Sukkot, and of course, uh, uh, this mentions all these other, the other pilgrimage festivals also, uh, but we're talking about Sukkot. Uh, it is uh, a reminder for us to be thankful. It is a Thanksgiving holiday. You know, it is sort of like the Thanksgiving in the Bible uh, is uh, what uh, Sukkot should be uh, for us. And of course, we also need to be thankful for the spiritual things that God has given uh, to us as well, right? That's part of everything, <laughs> all right? Uh, and, uh, and, and this is very important because in, um, let's see, if we look in uh, Leviticus chapter 23, this is the famous passage with all the holidays in it, all the holy convocations. Many years ago, when uh, I um, was uh, uh, speaking in churches all of the time, is what I, was, what I did, and uh, we would speak from uh, Leviticus 23 all the time. makes for great preaching, uh, how the Jewish holidays all point to the Messiah in order in the ministry of Yeshua. Uh, very, very interesting. But anyway, so uh, in Leviticus 23, let's look at uh, beginning in verse 33, and this is where it begins to talk about Sukkot. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying, on the 15th of this seventh month is the feast of booths for seven days to the Lord. On the first day as a holy convocation, you shall do no laborious work of any kind. For seven days, you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. You shall do no laborious work. Uh, just in passing, many of you may know this, but some may not, that, uh, you know, I was talking to Jason on the phone ye uh, yesterday, and uh, so he was just telling me some things about what it, wh where he was on Yom Kippur and what he was going to do on Sukkot. And, uh, and so I said to him, I said, now, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just sun Sunday night and Monday, right? Yeah. He said, uh, yes, and so he, of course, reminded me, uh, yes, because this is Eretz Yisrael, and, uh, you know, he's always doing things like that, but um, uh, here, in the, what we live in what's called the diaspora, you know, outside of Israel, and so to make sure we get the day right, we have two days at the beginning and two days at the end, so in, in most of the synagogues around town, there'll be services on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, the first day and the, and the second day. Uh, and, uh, and other holidays are like that as well. Rosh Hashanah is, is like that as well. And other, other days. Uh, uh, Shavuot is, is like that. Uh, anyway, uh, so it's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, it does say on the, the first day is a, a holy convocation. But continuing right along here. Uh, uh, for, in verse 36, for seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly, uh, to, it is an assembly you shall do no laborious work. These are the appointed times. 
uh, of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as a holy convocation, to present an offering by fire to the Lord, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and libations. Each day's matter in its own day, in its own day. Besides those of the Sabbaths of the Lord, and besides your gifts, and besides all your votive and freewill offerings, which you shall give to the Lord. Now, you know what's interesting about that when you observe this carefully? It looks like, and it feels like, that's the end of the chapter. Like these, it says, these are the holy convocations. These are the holidays. And make sure you do all the offerings. Like the end. But then you have, it's like, wait a minute. Let me go back. This is like if I was writing it. Wait a minute. Let me go back to Sukkot, right? And so for some reason, you have verses 39 to 44, which is like an addendum to the chapter. Uh, and, uh, and it's going to tell us some important things about Sukkot that we really don't read anywhere else. On exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast for seven days with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Okay, that part, okay. It's like reiterating that. But now, now on the first day, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Now, if you were to go into the kitchen, uh, uh, what? You say? Yes, if you were to go into the kitchen and open up the refrigerator, uh, and so, uh, you will see a, uh, a bag. And inside of the bag are, are long little plastic bags. And inside those plastic bags... We have uh, prepared for tomorrow night and Monday. Uh, we have the boughs of leafy trees, uh, and uh, the, uh, the, we have the foliage of beautiful trees, boughs of yeah, boughs of leafy trees, willows of the brook, uh, and then in the office are three big palm branches tied together, and uh, and so uh, when we uh, celebrate Sukkot. That's called a lulav, a lulav. And then we have a fruit that's also in the refrigerator right now, keeping cool, nice and cool, right? Uh, it's called an etrog. And uh, in English, you would call it a, uh, a citron. I don't actually know if that's English, but I guess it is. Uh, a citron. It's kind of like a, it's kind of looks like a lemon, kind of looks like a lemon. Uh, and so that's the fruit of the land uh, that, that we hold in our hands. And it's imported from Israel. And so there'll be a time in our service when everybody will have an opportunity while we're singing songs to shake the, the, the lulav and the etrog in varieties of directions and uh, be thankful for the, literally, for the fruit of the land. Okay? Okay. But there's more. And then it says... Uh, you shall celebrate, you shall thus celebrate it as a feast. Does this thing it says celebrate enough times? I think so. Uh, we need to make sure we're celebrating. Uh, you shall thus celebrate it as a feast of the Lord for seven days. In the year it shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Now, here, you shall live in booths for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths. It doesn't say this anywhere else so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the sons of Israel the appointed times of the Lord. So that's interesting. 
Everywhere else, almost everywhere else, uh, uh, the holiday is commemorating uh, an agricultural time of year. But here it says, on top of that, it is to be a feast of thanksgiving for the presence of God and the protection of God historically when you were in the wilderness. So that's very important, that they needed to look back, uh, as do we, uh, to the time of the wilderness and be thankful how God has protected uh, our people all these years. And that's what it means that, uh, that they should dwell in booths. That, that God had provided for them. And we read that in a variety of places. So on Sukkot, I would say that given thousands of years that have taken place since this, that we have a lot more to be thankful for. There's a lot more history, a lot more Jewish history, personal history, world history, whatever history, to be thankful for God's protection and provision. If we take it down to our own lives, our very lives, Sukkot should be a great festival of thanksgiving for God protecting you, God getting you to this place. And you know, we always say that, uh, that God has, we're thankful that God has brought us to this season of the year. Not only that uh, to this day that we can celebrate it, but we should, it is a season of thanksgiving to be thankful for God's provision and protection. And may I suggest it's no coincidence that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur come right before it. Because I think, as I have shared before, uh, that um, in the rabbinic literature, it is quite clear that uh, in ancient times, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur were viewed as were viewed as the preparation for Sukkot. That we need to repent and we need to be right with God, so that we're restored to God and celebrate this great feast of uh, of restoration. So whether we're talking about agriculturally or physically, the provision of our uh, having a job and a home to live in, uh, and on top of that, being thankful for our relationship with God, uh, what a great uh, uh, festival of thanksgiving. That's why we dwell in the sukkah. That's why we dwell in the booth, right? We dwell in the booth to remind us Right? And what do we say all the time about, about that? It reminds us that we must, uh, be, uh, we must depend on God because the directions that go back, all the way back to like the Mishnah, which, uh, you know who knows this? Our young uh, Bar, Bar B'nai Mitzvah Avraham, young people, have just learned all about this. Uh, the Mishnah was when, uh, when the temple was destroyed, uh, a couple of hundred years later, uh, about a hundred and little less than 150 years later, actually, I, 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 a group of uh, leaders, Jewish leaders, came together and said, what are we going to do in order to remember how to really be Jewish if we don't have a temple and we don't have the land? So they began to write down the traditions. And so the codification of traditions is what the Mishnah is, okay? And that was written down about 200. And in those writings is good portions of what we call today the Passover Haggadah, uh, as well as the directions for how to put up a sukkah. Isn't that interesting? They're old directions. And, uh, uh, but they're not in five different languages. Well, anyway, never mind. I could just go off on a tangent there, okay? All right, all right. But, uh, but anyway, it says in the Mishnah, 
I said all that to say that it says in the Mishnah that it's supposed to be a flimsy structure. It's not supposed to be a permanent structure, right? And we remember that real well. And we used to have uh, our little uh, telephone booth um, sukkah uh, out in the front. And if someone sneezed or there was a brief wind, beep, right? It would just sort of tip over. Uh, and so uh, fortunately now uh, we have, uh, it's flimsy, but not as flimsy, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and so it's meant to be a, a structure that you're a little uncomfortable in, like, you know, it doesn't have uh, heat uh, or AC on a hot day and that kind of thing. Uh, so that we remember that we have to rely on that we have to rely on God, and also, by the way, that's the reason why we we read uh, uh, we read the book of Ecclesiastes on Sukkot, and it seems to have nothing to do with Sukkot, Ecclesiastes. But what it is, it's about Ecclesiastes. Is what happens when Proverbs isn't working out? Uh, Ecclesiastes is about. I, you know, given the way the world is, how do I negotiate my life? You know, that's what it's about. So Sukkot, the reason it's read on Sukkot is because Sukkot reminds us that, you know, uh, sometimes uh, life can get challenging, hence dwelling in a sukkah for a week, you know, and that you can't rely on your nice house or you can't rely on, you know, the, the, all the nice things we have. Because wouldn't it be interesting if for some reason you could not go, you could not go to a market? What, hap- what will happen when the day comes when there's nothing on the supermarket shelves? How close are we all from being like barbarians? You know what I mean? Uh, because, you know, when you think about it, uh, you know, we, we take for granted that Here's Kroger, there's Meyer, there's Giant Eagle. I got all three in. And uh, I don't want to offend anybody that, you know what I mean. But, uh, and, uh, and all these up the street. Uh, but we take it for granted. But what if it wasn't there, you know? So we really need to be thankful, very thankful for everything that we have. And, uh, and it's hard when you have everything you kind of want. In, you know, when you basically have w- w- what you want in life. So Sukkot reminds us to be thankful for, for how God has sustained us uh, from the beginning to this, to this day. Uh, you know, and so that's what brings us to Hazinu, our uh, Torah portion uh, for today. Now, I will say, uh, while you're turning to Deuteronomy 32, tomorrow night... Uh, at our Sukkot service, uh, I'm going to be talking about how Sukkot came to be understood later in rabbinic literature, and that is as an end time, uh, a pointer to the consummation, a pointer to messianic times, and that is really a thrilling, a thrilling understanding of this holiday uh, as it relates to us. That's what we'll be talking about on the holiday tomorrow night, and, and also things along that line on Monday morning. But today, I want us to turn to Deuteronomy 32. Uh, uh, as this is, this is the swan song of Moses. This is, uh, you know, Moses had two big songs, right? Uh, Exodus 15 and Deuteronomy 32, okay? 33 is a poem 
Uh, but 32 is called a song, as well as Exodus uh, 15. Now, what's happening here is Moses is about to die. And now, by the way, uh, Russ is going to be uh, leading the Torah study this afternoon, and he's going to do a great job, as he always does. So I'd encourage you to go, because this is a fantastic passage in the Scriptures. Hazinu, just a fantastic passage. Why? Because Moses was, was about to die, and, uh, and he was a little preoccupied about this. And, you know, Moses was a realist. He, he really was. He knows how difficult it, has, it had been these 40 years leading, leading this people. And he's thinking to himself and saying out loud, what are they going to do I, when I'm not here? What are they going to do when I'm not here? They have been disobedient every step of the way. I constantly, I'm constantly having to, uh, you know, remind them and and, you know, we only have anecdotal stories about those 40 years. Who knows what else happened, you know, in that period of time? If you add up all the days that we know about of the 40 years of wandering, we know about five, six, seven, eight days, okay? Uh, maybe a few more. But this was 40 years. How rebellious could they have been, right? Uh, and, uh, and so Moses now is not entering the land. And at the end of chapter 31, the very end of chapter 31, he says in verses 29 and 30, For I know that after my death you will act corruptly and turn away from which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days. For you will do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the work of your hands. Well, that's encouraging. Then Moses spoke in the hearing of the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were complete. Now, if we had more time, we'd go back into chapter 31 and say God told him that this was going to happen and that God told him to write down the song and to call it a song, okay? So it's not like Moses is not going uh, rogue here, okay? God told him that this would, would, would happen and that he needed to write this down. We want to look at the beginning of this song. Give ear, O heavens, now in chapter 32. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, and, and as the showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice Righteousness and upright is he. Now that's kind of interesting because he just said, listen, after I die and you go in the land, you are going to mess up royally. Okay? So I'm now going to sing you a song. All right? Uh, and, and so he says, though, let the words be like dew. You know, uh, let my teaching drop as the rain. That means this is like refreshing, this is a blessing. This is good. So listen to my words and be refreshed. Okay? How could it be refreshing if he's going to sort of recount their future history that's that what's going to take place? Well, first, he gives an immediate answer. He gives an immediate answer to that question that I just asked. The immediate answer is, he says, for or because my 
You know, let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, as the showers on the herb, because I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all His ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteousness and upright is He. So, He's saying, these are comforting words to you because God, because you can rely on God. That's what it means when he says God is the rock, right? God doesn't change. You can look at a rock all day long. It doesn't change. At least a real rock, right? You can put a chair there. You can sit there for days, weeks, months, years. Basically, to the naked eye, the rock is not going to change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can trust in his leadership of us. We can trust in his guidance of us. We can trust that we can trust his word and that his word is indeed true. Okay? So we see, I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to God. When he says proclaim the name of the Lord, he doesn't mean like God's first name or a particular name. He means who God is. The essence of God is great. Who he is 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 marvelous and wonderful. And there are many places in the scripture where where you can uh, you know you can read that. The rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are just. Now the reason he says this. And the reason he uses the word faithfulness and without injustice and righteous and upright is because the purpose of this song is that heaven and earth, the whole world may know that no matter what happens in the history of the Jewish people, God will never let them go. God will never break his covenant relationship. There will indeed be suffering. There will indeed be uh, exile. There will indeed be problems, but God will never forsake his people. That's why these words are uh, refreshing. These words are very important to us as a people and by application to all of us, all of us uh, who know the Lord. Because here what he is saying is, I know you. I know what you're like. I know that you're going to mess up. I know that you're going to sin. Do you know that God knows your human frailty? God knows your weak points. God knows how vulnerable you are to certain things. God knows that for one person, they better not go to that part of town or that place or it's going to lead them down a road of destruction of sin. God knows that you're weak in another area. And, and that, uh, you know, uh, you might have an issue with something else. God is aware of it. And you know that when you sin, God does not forsake you. But you know better than anybody else that you suffer consequences of those sins. And that sometimes your life can be pretty rough. And sometimes we mess up our life, sometimes for our whole life, by something we do. But God will not forsake you. God will not forsake you. That's why he sent the Messiah. That's why he uh, uh, created a system uh, of uh, Levitical sacrifices, because he knew the people were going to fail. See, 
And so this song is a song of hope. This song is a song that Sukkot is all about, of having to trust God no matter what. So the next part of the song, we, we don't have time to read the whole thing, but the next part of the song in verse 5, it says, they acted corruptly, they have acted corruptly toward him. They are not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked generation. Do you repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is not he your father who has bought you? He has made you and established you. Rough words. Even going down to verse 15. But Yeshurun grew fat and kicked. You are grown fat, thick and sleek. Then he, fors- then he forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with, with strange gods. Now this is written in the past tense. But, in English, it's written in the past tense. But, it's speaking as if it has already taken place. This is, this is a prophetic word, you might say, of what Israel will be like. And we are to sing this song now in retro, you know, now thousands of years have gone by. We can still sing this song and look at it in, you know, in, in retrospect. That this was written so that when we suffer, we know why. And we know that God has not forsaken us. This passage of Scripture has been precious to the Jewish people and all the horrible persecutions. It's passages like this that we hang on to and why Jews are not all atheists and why you can go through the horrors of the Holocaust and still have faith in God because of passages like this. Not to mention the Babylonian captivity and lots of other terrible, terrible things that have taken place in Jewish history. So what happens here? The way the movements of this song go, in verse 7 to 14, God is reminding Israel of how much he has loved them, and and how he took Israel, and he found them, and and nurtured Israel, and, and made Israel flourish, and, you know, like a father and a son, or or finding a, you know, or a husband and a wife, um, but, but finding her and, and loving, loving is Israel, loving his people. And can't we relate to that? It's important for us that we may be going through a very difficult time in life and maybe nobody even knows about it. Maybe it's just, you know, an inner, uh, it's a transition in life or just a, something that's difficult. It's important to go back and think about how God, God has not forsaken me and think about the times where you remember that God has really come through in your life. That's why journaling is like an important thing to do. It's important to write these things down so you don't forget, you see. And in our communal history, in, our, in the Jewish history, that's why you need to read like Psalm 103 and Psalm 104 and, and those things. They should bring encouragement. And so he's saying, remember, remember. In fact, he says in verse 7, Ask your father and he will inform you. Ask your elders and they will tell you. We need to be sharing with younger people about the glories of God and how we have seen God work in our lives over many, many, many years. And to share with people with less experience, you know, God has not left you. Let me tell you a story. Let me share with you something that happened in my life. And, or let me share with you about the history of, of our people, not only the history of our people, the history of the believers and, and about how God has come through in what we commonly refer to as 
church history. It's not a good term, but, but in the history of the faith, you know, not just Jewish history, but how uh, God has been faithful uh, to uh, uh, people that have uh, embraced him in, in many ways, even if they have died, how God has been faithful to them, you know? Okay, now, uh, when, we, when he talks here about you've grown fat, thick, sleek, forsaken God, for us, this is very, con- for me, this is very convicting because he's talking about their materialistic world. Growing fat, thick, and sleek is like a, is like a cow. It's like, a, it's like he's calling them cows. God, the, the prophets were, you know, they like to use this terminology, the cows of Bashan. Right, Amos does that. You know, uh, uh, meaning you are just, you got everything, you know, uh, and you have forgotten God. We may complain about all kinds of things in our culture and in our world, but we have it better than almost anybody in the world. We need to think in those terms. That's why we need to be thankful at Sukkot. We need to remember our own testimony and what God has done in our lives. And so this is what he says in verse 18, you neglected the rock who beget who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. Okay? Uh, uh, then uh, it, it goes on. Of course, he says in verse 20, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, uh, for they are, per- they are a perverse generation, sons in whom there is no faithfulness. Uh, hard words, the hiding of the face of God. I have a whole book on the hidden face of God. That is a huge topic in, in the Jewish world. What does it mean when God hides his face? See? Uh, and, uh, and, and what does it mean uh, to, allow his, to allow the people to suffer? And In verse 23, I will heap misfortunes on them. I will use my arrows on them. Right? Uh, in verse 28, he says, For they are a nation lacking in counsel. There is no understanding in them. And how sad, uh, how sad it is. Uh, now, but it's not the end of the story. But what it tells us is, is that when there is, when there is terrible suffering, God is at work. Even though it seems harsh, God is at work. And our history is about something bigger than ourselves. And so no matter what is going on in your life, I'll say it again, do not ever get the idea that God has given up on you. Even though he has do- he's doing this, he's doing it all because his ways are right and there is no injustice in him. And he is righteous and he is upright, but he keeps his word because it says in verse 36, for the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants when when he sees that their strength is gone. When? And there is none remaining bond or free. He will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they sought refuge. In other words, where are they? Where are all the nations and the things in whom you trust? Oh, they're all gone? Oh, you are in exile? Oh, terrible things are happening? You see? He's going to bring redemption. In verse 39, See now that I, I am He. There is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded and it is I who heal. There is no one who can deliver 
from my hand. If you go down to the last verse of the song in verse 43, Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. What that is saying basically is that uh, God is going to vindicate his holiness by restoring Israel and by inference all those of the nations who identify with them. When he says, rejoice, O nations, with his people, he will avenge the blood of his servants. Uh, and then he says, he will, and will atone for his land and his people. You know, in the Bible, it's very interesting that uh, you read different passages where the land suffers because of the sins of the people. Well, what's going to happen is that the land will be freed from bondage, right? Uh, the curse and all of that. The land will be freed from bondage. People will be freed from bondage. And may I suggest that is why it is on Sukkot that all the nations are going to come to Jerusalem and worship the king, the Lord of hosts, in that day. Because Sukkot is the feast of the atonement of the land, the atonement of the people, the, the feast of restoration. And so we, as Messiah followers, we should be so thankful because indeed the Messiah has come, because indeed we have the atonement for our sins. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We look forward to the redemption of our bodies and the redemption of this world. And for us, there is indeed hope. And that we can look at our own lives as like a perpetual sukkah. You know, we dwell in bodies that are very uh, precarious. We dwell in bodies that uh, don't last, uh, that wear out, eventually wear out, right? But inside, God is dwelling within us, and we're renewed day after day after day on the inside. But we're dwelling in a sukkah, see? And, and our whole lives, in a way, can be a sukkah. When we, when we may look at our families or our, our living situation or the culture around us, Everything is, is a precarious perch. But you see, God will never forsake us. He causes death and he orders life. And we are in the palm of his hand. And sometimes we're being purified. Sometimes we're being refined. Sometimes we're being physically blessed with the goodness, all of the palpable goodness of God we can, we can feel and appreciate. But always remember that God has you in the palm of his hand, and that's why his word is always sweet, and that's why it is always refreshing, because God will never forsake his people. And so on Sukkot, may we appreciate that, and may we always be thanking and giving thanks to God. And that is what Hazinu uh, is basically all, uh, all about, a fantastic when you when you take it apart. You know, in these different verses, it is a fantastic and lends itself to the great celebration of Sukkot. Well, let's pray. Lord God, thank you that uh, Yeshua has come to dwell within us. And uh, Lord, thank you, God, that uh, in a way, every day is Sukkot as we are thankful to you for all that we have. God, I pray that we would indeed be thankful people, no matter what, and that our thanksgiving would uh, be demonstrated in how we use our time, 
how we worship, how we give, Lord, in all these ways, God. It is all, as it were, a thank you note unto you. And we do thank you, God, for the feast of our rejoicing, Sukkot. We pray in Yeshua's name.